The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. We're going to do a Bible study from verses 7 through verses number 10 here in a moment. It's a familiar portion of Scripture, one that I'm sure you've read on many of occasions, and uh, one that I hope will be a help to us as we continue this series, Greater Than. Uh, Today, we're going to look at this subject, His Strength is Greater Than My Weakness, all right? Anybody in this room ever have moments uh, where you feel as though you don't have the strength to do what it is you feel like you need to do? Maybe you're here and uh, you're like a young mom and you've got some young kids in your home and you just feel overwhelmed by that responsibility. Like, I, I don't have what it takes to raise these kids in a way that'll, uh, you know, they'll they'll turn out normal, you know, when they come to be adults, and you just feel overwhelmed by that responsibility. Uh, Maybe there's other people in this room, and and you're battling through just an addiction, and uh, you feel totally weak when it comes to facing that challenge. The reality is, regardless of where you find yourself on the spectrum of strength and weakness, every one of us in this room go through seasons where we feel like we don't have what it takes to meet the challenges before us. And what I want to encourage you with today, and as we're going to see from 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, is that His strength truly is greater than my weakness. Inside your service program that you should have received on your way in, there is a Bible study outline that you can use as we go through the Bible study here this morning. I hope it'll be a help to you as we take some time to study through 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. I would like to say for those of you who are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read our text here today, 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. We begin reading in verse number 7. We'll read down through verse number 12. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, of course, this is the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is writing to the church at Corinth, all right? And so that's some of the historical background. Uh, This particular church in Corinth, they were struggling with some things, uh, especially in 1 Corinthians. uh, The Apostle Paul had to address some issues that were going on in the Corinthian church. And so he writes them again here uh, through 2 Corinthians, and he's just trying to admonish them. And, And notice this passage here. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse 7, he says, And lest I, this is of course the Apostle Paul talking, should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. So basically Paul is saying, God's used me by his grace uh, to author much of scripture. And so Paul says, just so I wouldn't get proud, just so I wouldn't be arrogant because of this, notice what he says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. God allowed something into his life that was going to to keep him from from getting arrogant, from getting proud. It was going to be something that made him feel weak in the flesh. He says, there was a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Once again, he says, there, there was a reason for this. God had a plan for this weakness. He allowed it for a purpose. He didn't want me to get proud. He didn't want me to get arrogant. Notice verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, not one time, Not two times. The Bible says three times. What was Paul praying? He was praying that it might depart from me, he says. Paul was literally praying, God, take this away. God, give me some relief from this thing. 
it, it makes me feel weak. It makes me feel inadequate. And so not one time, not two times, three times Paul cries out, God, deliver me from this. God, give me relief from this thing that's making me feel weak. How do we know weakness is what he's talking about, the context in verse 9. And God said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. (laughs) Why is it that God's grace is sufficient? Notice the next part. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. We could say God's strength is perfected in our weakness. So Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Notice he says, I'll rather glory in that. Rather than glory in strength, rather than glory in the fact that I've been used to, you know, uh, extend part of the revelation of the Bible to humanity. I'm not going to revel in that. I'm not going to glory in that. Rather, I'm going to glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10. Therefore, because of all this, because of these infirmities, because of this weakness, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Notice what he's saying here. He's, he's not saying, I'm just going to put up with them. I'm not just going to endure them. He says, I'm going to take pleasure in infirmities. And then he keeps the list going in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. <laughs> why, why, Paul, are you going to take pleasure in all of that? All those things that make you feel weak. All of these things that make you feel inadequate. All of these things that make you feel inferior. Why are you going to glory in those? Why are you going to take pleasure in those? For when I am weak, then, Notice that. Then am I strong. Can I declare unto you, it is not until you feel weak. It is not until you feel inadequate. It is not until you feel inferior that the power of Christ can fully rest upon you. Over the next few moments, I want to talk a little bit about this subject of his strength is greater than my weakness. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, God, in the 21st century in which we live, there are so many voices trying to preach a gospel to us that is not true. Our culture and society wants to preach a gospel that says you have to be bigger and you have to be stronger and you have to be faster and you have to be richer and and that's how you arrive as a human being and yet your word tells us something very different. Your word reminds us that it is not until we are humbled. It is not until we feel inadequate and inferior and somewhat weak, Lord, that we can fully experience the strength and the grace that you make possible for us in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that today, as we march through these verses, that you would give us a greater awareness, Lord, of why this is so. 
Help us to walk out these back doors today, Lord, not glorying in our strengths, not taking pleasure in our talents, but Lord, may we, like the Apostle Paul, come to a place where we really realize that that we can take pleasure, that we can glory in those things that make us feel weak, those things that make us feel inadequate, those things that make us feel inferior, because it is in those moments when we give those and offer those things to you and we yield those things to you, it is in that moment that we are able to fully experience the grace and strength that you make available to us in Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would be reminded afresh and new that your strength is far, far greater than any of our weakness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. This morning, I want you to notice three insightful observations regarding weakness in our lives. Three insightful observations from these few verses regarding weakness in our lives. Let's just begin reading in verse number seven. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. Notice this. Commentators, theologians, and scholars have kind of tried to figure out what that thorn may or may not have been. There's a lot of ideas, but nobody knows concretely. Uh, Some people believe that it was an infirmity, a physical infirmity. Some have said it was something to do with his eyes Uh, something happening earlier in his life that caused his vision to be weak. And while there are speculations regarding what this thorn in the flesh could have been, uh, I heard one friend once say, well, this is the passage that proves Paul was married. You know, the Bible says he had a thorn in his flesh. I do not believe that is what this is referring to here. Um, I I, I think I can confidently say uh, that would be a, a misinterpretation of this particular passage. We really don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. Uh, People speculate, people wonder. But what we do know was something in his life uh, that was keeping him humble. Which leads us here to our first observation from this passage this morning, and that is simply this. I want you to notice, first of all, the pain of weakness. The pain of weakness. You see in this passage, twice he says, lest I should be exalted above measure. At the end of verse 8, he says it again, lest I should be exalted above measure. He was able to understand that God sometimes allows things into our lives so that we not become proud, so we not become arrogant. The reality is this, every person in this room has something they could become proud about. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, well, pastor, if you really knew me, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing, there's nothing I could get proud about. The truth is, all of us have something we probably could get proud about, whether it be the amount of money we have in a bank account, or how people tell us how good-looking we are, or maybe a particular achievement we've achieved at work. All of us probably have some areas uh, where we could, if we allowed ourselves to be, to get proud, to become arrogant, to, to remove ourselves from humility. And yet, God, in His, what I call, uncomfortable grace, allowed Paul A thorn in the flesh. Something that made Paul feel weak. Something that made Paul feel inferior. Something that made Paul feel inadequate. 
Now, as you read in verse number 10, you're going to find that he kind of gives us a list of things that made him feel this way. And and let me just take a moment. They should be in your uh, service program there, but let me just define them for you. In verse number 10, he gives us a few of these things that that made him feel weak. He says infirmities. You you say, well, what's an infirmity? Well, you know, most of us would understand that would be a, a physical disability of sorts. There are some people in this room and and you experience infirmities. You're experiencing some physical disabilities or physical weakness. And and Paul's saying, I have experienced physical disabilities. This is why some scholars believe that it was some sort of eye infection that Paul had, that maybe this thorn in the flesh literally was some physical infirmity. But it, it was something that made him feel physically weak. This was something that made Paul feel physically inadequate. Maybe you're here in this room and, and maybe you have a, a health condition and it makes you feel physically weak. There are things you'd like to do for the Lord. There are things you would like to do for your neighbors. There are things you'd like to do for your children. There are things you would like to do for your church. And yet physically you feel inadequate. Physically, you feel like you don't have what it takes to to do what you would like to do in that situation. For some people in this room, it's just age. You used to have more energy. You used to feel stronger. You used to feel like you had more vitality. And as the years go by, you just, you feel weaker physically. The things you, you want to do, the things that you used to be able to do, you can't do quite like you once did. And, and you feel these infirmities. You feel physically weak. And, and obviously Paul had some things in his life that made him feel physically weak. But he continues with reproaches. This was verbal criticism. These people would attack them with his words. Here's Paul You think if anybody would not be verbally attacked, if anybody could avoid, you know, uh, you know, just being rebuked or could be avoid reproaches, it would be the Apostle Paul. You would think he he would be doing pretty well. But even the Apostle Paul couldn't avoid slander. (laughs) And this made him feel relationally weak. Here he is just trying to serve God. Here he is just trying to do the very best. He knows he's human. He knows he doesn't got it all together. But he's just trying to do the best he can to serve the Lord and serve the people that God puts in his life. And and yet, even with this, even with doing everything that he can, even with just kind of giving his life and all the things he allowed himself to go through, there were still people that attacked him with their words. There were still people who slandered him. There were still people who said negative things about him would critique him let me encourage you with this if the apostle paul couldn't avoid slander you probably won't either i probably won't either can i say this just because you hear slander or just because slander is given doesn't mean that we have to make it such a big deal the apostle paul was slandered if you live in this world you will be slandered I will be slandered. It's just a part of the world in which we live in. Here the Apostle Paul was going through, not only did he feel physically weak, but it made him feel relationally weak. Here he's trying to serve people, he's trying to love people, and all they're, and all, all they're getting is, man, they're attacking him. He, he goes back in chapter number 10 and 11, he talks a little bit more about this. Notice what he says next, he says necessities. Necessities just means financial poverty. 
some type of just kind of financial difficulties. It made him feel financially weak. Anybody in this room feel financially weak? Like there's so much you would like to do. You'd like to be able to give more and you'd like to be able to serve more financially and yet you feel financially weak. Like you, you don't have what you need monetarily uh, to do maybe what, what you would like to do. This is how Paul felt. There were seasons where he just felt like he didn't have the money to do what he'd like to do. It made him feel weak, like he, he didn't have the resources to accomplish what God had given him to accomplish. Notice what he says next, persecution. Literally, inhumane cruelty. We can read about all that Paul went through. He was whipped. He was stoned. He experienced shipwreck. We can go through the list of these persecutions that the Apostle Paul went through. And I'm sure at times this made him feel spiritually weak. You say, what do you mean by that? If you've ever had a time in your life where you were just trying to serve God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and it seems like it gets worse for you the more you lean into God's will, then you know what I'm talking about. It starts to play with your head a little bit. God, I'm just trying to serve you. I'm just trying to go forward with your mission. I'm just trying to do what you've called me to do. Why does it feel like life gets worse the more I lean into your will? It starts to play with you spiritually. You begin to feel spiritually weak. Like, maybe I don't have the the spiritual resilience to do what I need to do. Because the moment you set out to do something for God and you set out to to lead your family and to lead your marriage and, and to lead those around you to a closer relationship with Christ, mark it down. The devil puts a, a target on your back and, and you start to feel the, those, that, that oppression and you start to feel those attacks and that persecution and you start to feel spiritually weak. Like maybe I don't have what it takes after all. Persecution. Distress. Hey, what's distress? It's just circumstantial difficulties. I just feel weak. I can't pay the bills. Man, the water heater just broke. The tire just went flat. Just life. And all of a sudden, this circumstance and that circumstance and those circumstances, and you're just going through distress. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is these things make me feel weak. They make me feel relationally weak and they make me feel spiritually weak and they make me feel financially weak and and physically and in in every way possible. Just relationally, I just feel weak. I feel inadequate. I, I feel inferior. Now, how many of you would recognize if the Apostle Paul felt inferior? If the Apostle Paul felt inadequate, then can't we pretty much guarantee that we're going to feel the same at times? I mean, if even the Apostle Paul struggled with feeling weak, then we should be pretty sure that we also, at seasons, will feel weak as well. 1 Peter chapter number 4, verse 12, continues this thought when it says, Think it not strange... 
Peter's saying, don't, don't think this is unusual concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange, this word literally means unusual or abnormal, thing is happening unto you. A lot of Christians, man, they go through a difficult situation. All of a sudden, they start feeling weak in the flesh, or all of a sudden, they start feeling weak financially or relationally, and they're like, why is this happening to me? And what Peter's trying to remind us is this is not unusual. This is not strange. This is not abnormal. This is, this is what happens if you're a human being. It's normal. Don't think it's strange. There's a pain that goes with weakness. But let's read the next verse. For this thing, this thing that made Paul feel weak, this thing that made him feel inadequate, this thing that made him feel inferior, Paul says, for this thing, I besought the Lord thrice, three times. Notice what he's praying for. He's saying, God, take this away. If we were to be honest, every one of us have been there. Every one of us have prayed for something and we prayed, God, take this away from me. Maybe for some of you it was relational tension and you're just saying, God, just take this relational tension away. Make it go away. Maybe for others of you, you have prayed and you're, you have a health condition and, and you've prayed with sincerity of heart, God, take this infirmity, take this sickness away. Maybe for others of you, it's somebody you work with and you're like, God, please, just take them away. We've all been in seasons in our lives where we prayed for total relief. Where we've asked God, God, would you remove me from this situation? Would you remove the difficulty from me? God, would you just make it go away? It makes me feel weak. It makes me feel like I can't handle life. It, it makes me feel like I'm inferior. It makes me feel like I'm, I'm inadequate. It makes me feel like I'm not enough. It makes me, it makes me feel like a, a loser. It breaks me. But you see, this leads us to our next observation from this passage. Not only do we see the pain of weakness, but I want you to see this prayer for relief. The prayer for relief. I want you to see this. Paul says he prays once. Can you just picture this? Here's Paul, the Apostle Paul. He writes part of the Bibles. I'm sure Paul gets a lot of his prayers answered. And here's the Apostle Paul. And he prays. Prays once. And nothing happens. He waits. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> then one day comes along and he says, I'm going to pray about this thing again. And he prays again. God, give me relief. Deliver me from this. Take this thing away from me. He prays a second time. He gets up and... Nothing. And you can even imagine in the Apostle Paul's heart, here he's prayed once, he's prayed twice, and it's not, it's not even like God's answering. It's not even like God's hearing him. You ever, you ever been there before? Like, like, like God, what's going on here? I, I'm doing what you want me to do. I'm, I'm praying, and it's like, it's like you don't even hear me. It's like you don't, you're not even listening. Prays once, he prays twice, nothing. You ever been there? So, so uh, last week, uh, some of our kids went to camp. Uh, how many of you guys went to camp? Some of, the, some of you, raise your hands. Some of the teens went to camp. And uh, my, 
daughter and son, Ashlyn Anderson, they went to camp, and they, they had a great time. They were coming back, and they were telling us all about, you know, different things they had learned and different things they got to do. One of the, one of the things they were really excited about, and Ashlyn especially, Ashlyn loves horses, and uh, she got to go horseback riding, and that was like a, a really big deal for her. Like, she totally enjoyed it. They, they got to hear some good Bible teaching, and they were learning about prayer and learning about God and, and different things like that, and just had a great time there at camp. So, so like earlier this week, and I don't remember if this was Monday or Tuesday, uh, my wife and I overheard Ashlyn Anderson, and they were talking, and for whatever reason, they were, they were talking uh, about a pet, and, and they, they wanted a pet, and Anderson was kind of saying, you know, I would really like, really like a pet, and Anderson said, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to pray uh, that, that God gives us a pet, and, uh, and Ashlyn says to Anderson, Anderson... Don't pray for a pet. It doesn't work. <laughs> We're like listening. She says, I've been praying for a horse all week and I still don't got one. <laughs> you ever feel like that? <laughs> like, God, I've been praying all week and it did nothing. <laughs> the reality is, I know that's a silly story, but we've all been there in more serious situations. We've all had seasons where our prayers were well-intentioned. And in our minds, we couldn't figure out one reason why God wouldn't answer our prayers. Like, why in the world wouldn't he answer this prayer? Like, in our heads, in our paradigm, in the way we see life, we can't think of one good reason why God wouldn't possibly want to answer this prayer. And so we kind of get a little frustrated. Like, because in our world, in our thinking, like, this is, this is a slam dunk. Like, in our thinking, we can't think of one good reason why God wouldn't possibly want to answer this prayer. I mean, after all, it's noble. It would be for his glory. And we're like, God, why wouldn't you answer that prayer? And in our heads, we, like, it, it, just, it just confuses us. The psalmist David experienced this at times where he felt like God wasn't listening. Psalm chapter number 13, verse 1, the psalmist cries out, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? It's a rhetorical question. I mean, here's David. God used him to write part of the Bible too. And he's like, got this point. He's like, God, I've been praying. How long are you going to forget about me? And then he asked another question. Like, it, you, you can almost sense like the sarcasm in his voice. Like, that wasn't enough to say that to God. Then he's like, forever? God? You ever get an attitude with God? Like, like, how long are you going you, to not listen to me, God? Like, like I'm, I go to church. I, I read my Bible. David was like, you know, I, kill, I, I could take care of giants. Like, like how long are you going to forget me, O Lord, forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? You ever been there? The pain of weakness. And so you pray for relief, and then it's like Nothing. There are people in this room, and it's situations like this that tempt you to walk away from God completely. You forget that David experienced it. You forget that the Apostle Paul experiences it. You forget that any great Christian who's had a long-term relationship with the Lord has experienced these emotions. You forget that, but the moment it happens to you, you want to wash your hands and be done with it. 
could it be? Let me give you. Let me just give you a thought to, to let rattle around in your brain for a moment. Could it be that the posture of your heart, leaning into the presence of God, could it be that the posture of your heart that that is you going to God even when you feel like He's not listening, you going to God even when it doesn't feel like he's responding. Could it be that the posture of your heart leaning into his presence is far more important to your well-being than even deliverance and relief from your problems? Did you get that? Like for some of us, we think, no, the best thing that could happen to my spiritual life is that God gives me relief and God delivers me. And maybe what God's saying, no, the the best thing for you, the most healthy thing for your well-being is that the posture of your heart is so in tune and so leaning toward talking to God that even if it means he's not going to answer your prayer just the way you think he should answer it, it's actually better for you because you leaning into his presence is healthier in many cases than getting your prayer answered the way you want to see it answered. See, the reason we think that relief and deliverance is the ultimate thing is because we have have an unhealthy view of God. We think we know better than God. We think we're smarter than God. We think that life is about my ultimate happiness and my ultimate good feeling. And after all, why would God want me to go through something that doesn't feel good? Because God's ultimate goal for your life is not your happiness. He loves it when his children are able to enjoy life. But even more than he wants you to be able to enjoy the good life, he wants you to have a posture of the heart that is constantly leaning into his presence. And that is far more important to him than life going exactly the way you wish it would go. And what I have found in counseling with individuals is that for most people, the posture of their heart is most tilted toward God's presence when they feel weak and when they feel inadequate and when they feel inferior. That is when the the posture of their heart leans most steadily into his presence. The prayer for relief. Now Now notice verse nine. So the apostle Paul prays once, nothing. He prays twice, nothing. Now he prays a third time, and God says unto him. He says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. Why? Why is God's grace sufficient? Rather than giving him relief, rather than giving him deliverance, rather than pulling him out of the situation or pulling the situation away from him, Why does he say my grace is sufficient? Because he says, hey, my strength, it is made perfect. It's perfected in the midst of your weakness. God says, I'm going to give you something better than deliverance. I'm going to give you the grace to endure. You say, why why won't God just allow my marriage to get to a place where it just feels more perfect? Can't God just snap his fingers and and make everything perfect and harmonious? 
Can he just relieve me from this situation, deliver me from it completely? And, and maybe what he wants to do is allow the situation to simmer, but then give your heart grace and peace in the midst of that broken situation. This leads us here. Now, notice what he says. He says here, literally, if, if you kind of read between the lines, it's as if God's saying, I'm not, I'm not going to help you escape the suffering. Because that's kind of what Paul was praying for. And isn't that kind of what we pray for? God, I want to escape this situation. I want to escape this marriage. I want to escape this job. I want to escape this church. I want to escape my parents. I want to escape this child. I want to escape this financial condition. We just want it gone. We want to escape from it. And God's saying, I'm going to give you something better than allowing you to escape from it. I'm going to give you grace and strength to endure it. I'm going to give you something better than relief. I'm going to give you grace. Grace in the midst of the trial. Grace in the midst of the pain. Grace in the midst of the brokenness. Which leads us to our final thought this morning, and that is simply this, the pain of weakness. The prayer for relief. But notice in verse 9, the promise of grace. The promise of grace. Now, can I clarify this for you? And I think most of you would understand this, but I just need to reemphasize it. Grace is more than some abstract theoretical force. Grace is more than just this ethereal, spiritual thing that floats around in the ether and then kind of descends upon us in moments. Grace is more than an abstract theoretical force. Grace is a person and his name is Jesus Grace is always available in the presence of God. Let me say that again. Grace is always available. The grace to endure, the grace for strength, the grace to move forward. His grace is always available in the presence of God. The psalmist said this in Psalm 73, verse 26. He says, my flesh and my heart faileth. There are times where I feel physically weak, the psalmist is saying. In fact, there are times where in my heart, emotionally, I feel like I can't go on anymore. I'm just emotionally wracked. I'm physically depleted. And he says, that's just where I find myself so often. Often, how many times do you find yourself there? Like, like you, you would want to endure, you would want to move forward, but you say, my flesh, I just do not have the energy to do it. I do not have the physical capacity to do it. Not just my flesh, but my heart fails. I'm so depressed, and I'm so discouraged, and I'm so broken, I'm so despondent. I don't even feel like going forward. This is what the psalmist is saying. I love how real biblical authors were. And then he says, but... I love it how these, how these people that God used to write the scripture, they, they give us the good, the bad, and the ugly, but they don't ever stop with that. You ever get around coworkers and, and that's all you get from them? Or you get around family members and you only get that part? <laughs> you only hear about how oh, awful everything is and you only hear about how, you know, this and you only hear about that. And here's what he's going to go on to say. He says, this is a reality. My flesh and my heart, they fail. That's, that's, that's real. It's what I'm experiencing, but... But God is the strength of my heart. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I want you to notice what it does not say because this is important. It does not say, but God gives strength to my heart. This is big. 
See, a lot of us tend to get this paradigm when we think about God's grace. We're like, God gives us his grace, you know, God gives us strength. And, and to some degree, that is true. But I want you to really understand what this is saying. It's saying God, he doesn't just give this strength. God doesn't just give this grace. God is this strength. God is this grace. See, a lot of us, we want God's grace. We want God's strength. We want God's peace. We just don't want to spend time in the presence of God. We don't want to lean into spending time in his word. We don't want to lean into spending time in prayer. We want what God has to offer, but we forget that God doesn't just give it. It's not like God can be up in heaven and say, okay, here's some grace for you, and here's some strength for you, and here's some peace for you. God says, no, I can't give it. He says, that's who I am. I got to get in the presence because that's where I experience what God has to offer. You can't dissect the two. You can't dissect here spending time in his presence and experiencing his grace. You want his grace, you've got to abide in his presence. You want to experience his strength, you've got to dwell in his essence. There is no disconnecting the two. So I ask you again, how was it in the last seven days? How did you do at spending time in the presence of your king? Well, pastor, you just don't understand. I felt so weak. I felt so inadequate. I felt so inferior. And it could be that we didn't yield to God's spirit and dwell in his presence. Can I say this? 35 minutes, 45 minutes on a Sunday morning is not going to cut it in the 21st century. It ain't going to do it. Man, I'm glad you're here. And God uses corporate worship as a means to grace. But if you are not surrendered and yielding to the Spirit of God to lean into His presence on an ongoing daily basis, can I say this? You are weak. And I don't say that to your shame. I say that so to draw you to a place of joy where you can experience the strength that is already made available for you in the presence of God. Why? Because God gives strength? No, because God is strength. And it's experienced in His presence. So you say, how does this work practically? Let's go back to the list in chapter number 10. So Paul's saying in chapter number, verse number, chapter number 12, verse 10, he says, in reproaches. That's that verbal criticism. Paul's saying, when I get criticized, it makes me feel relationally weak. When somebody says something about me that's not true, it makes me feel like I can't do what God's called me to do. It, it makes me feel inadequate. It makes me feel inferior. And so here in this opportunity, when, when here all of a sudden we're being reproached and, and when we're being criticized, we have the opportunity, we have the invitation to run into the presence of God and experience His grace and strength and the grace of His approval upon your life. And so when one person's criticizing you, you can run to the presence of God and fully experience the grace of his approval upon your life and let that stir within you a sense of worth and let that grace stir within you a sense of confidence and let it stir within you a sense that you know what he approves because i am in christ and that weakness in the flesh the thing that makes you feel inadequate becomes the means by which you experience the strength that is yours in jesus Maybe it's necessities. 
you, you feel financially weak. You feel like you don't have enough, and, and it, causes you to, it causes you to feel inferior, and it causes you to feel inadequate, like you're not going to be able to provide. You say, what, what do we do? How do we experience God in that moment, in, in, that, in that place of weakness financially? I want to encourage you to bask in his presence and experience the grace and strength of his promise to supply all of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And let the reality of that promise, let the experiential nature of that promise stir up a deep sense of security that, you know what, God's in charge and God's going to keep me safe. And as you lean into his presence and you bask in his presence, that, that sense of security, that sense of safety gets stirred up within you and you realize now all of a sudden your sense of safety and your sense of security and your sense of worth is not tied up into your bank account it is tied up into your ability to fully saturate yourself in the presence of God and let his reality and let his presence stir up that sense of security and that sense of safety and that sense of worth that no amount of money can do that's what we're that's practical Jesus I know I say it a lot well you need Jesus for this and you need Jesus for that and some of you roll your eyes Like, let's get to the meat of the word, pastor. This is the meat of the word. You just don't understand how to connect the dots yet because you're you're spiritually immature. You think you need more moralism. You need a bigger to-do list. You need a bigger checklist. And I'm telling you, that's the illusion that that will somehow save you. Jesus is your hope. Jesus is your salvation. And when you learn to connect the dots, that is when you experience spiritual maturity in Christ. Not through moralism, not through trying harder, but learning how to experience the presence and grace of Jesus for every single thing your heart desires. That is is your hope that is your salvation it's in him and as long as you live under the illusion that i just need another tidbit to do there is wisdom in the tidbit but if you don't learn how to connect the dots see the tidbit gets to the surface jesus gets to the heart jesus will change the world view the beliefs, the values, and the motives that will eventually change your behavior. I can teach you all day how to change your behavior, give you a checklist of what to do differently on the outside. But the moment I'm not around, and the moment your spouse is not looking, and the moment your boss isn't hovering over you, and the moment you feel weak, the arm of the flesh will fail you. It is Jesus that is your hope. And so here's what I want to encourage you guys how to do. I want to encourage you how to appropriate the presence of Jesus for every single thing your life will ever face. Because every sin that you commit, every single one, flows out of a misappropriation of Jesus to your heart. You don't know how Jesus and the riches that are yours in him connect to this particular situation. Every situation you're going through, every struggle that you have is connected to an inadequate view of God. Everyone. And so here at Ambassador, we go to the heart. We start with beliefs 
we go to values. We look at motivations. And then at the end of the sermon, oftentimes we'll get to, here's what this looks like. This is what the Bible says it looks like when all these things are aligned. But to, to go the other way around would be an exercise in futility every single time. So let me give you another one. What about circumstantial difficulties? Like you're, you're okay, to, okay, pastor, how does Jesus apply to what's going to happen tomorrow? Let's help you with this. I want, I want to teach you functionally and practically how to apply Jesus to what you're going through in your soul tomorrow. So you're going through difficulties and, and, you're, and your spouse is frustrating you and your boss is getting the best of you and you're just irritated. I want to encourage you in that moment to experience God's presence in that moment. Affirm to your soul and heart again that he is near. Practice the very real near presence of God in that moment and know the grace and strength of his peace and comfort. Allow the promise that our God is a God of all comfort. Let Preach that to yourself. Remind yourself of that spirituality. Why? Because the Bible tells us that everything we need for life and godliness is found in Christ. Everything we need for life and godliness is found in Christ. And in that moment, as you dwell in his peace and comfort, let that stir up a sense in your heart of calm, of serenity, even in the midst of your situation, even in the midst of your difficulty. Notice what it says in verse 9. the end of the verse for my strength is made perfect in weakness notice verse 10 the end of verse 10 for when I am weak then not not until then but then am I strong it's my last statement and I think this might put a bow on it a little bit so I'm going to throw it on the screens and kind of read it to you I jotted this down kind of putting this in a nutshell But as human beings, we have the capacity to learn, grow, and become stronger. Every one of you do, and some of you in the flesh are better at this than others. And while in some instances this can be a blessing in the physical realm, and actually something I believe that when you yield to the Holy Spirit, He is going to lead you to learn, to grow, and become stronger when that is surrendered to Christ. However, for the Christian in the spiritual realm, it often sabotages our capacity to experience God's ultimate strength. How come? Let's keep reading. Until we willingly yield to the fact that we are spiritual weaklings in the flesh and really allow that weakness to make us desperate for God's strength, we will never truly experience the almighty power that is available to us in Christ. As long as we think that we are strong enough, We only limit what God can do through us. It's not our weakness that will get in the way of experiencing God's power, but rather our delusions of strength. And that is why pride is so detrimental to the life of a Christian. Because as long as you think you're strong enough, you'll never fully experience the fullness of strength that is found in Christ. His strength is made perfect in weakness. 
This is why the prophet Joel reminds us in Joel chapter number three, let the weak say, I am strong. Those of you who feel weak physically, I say, let, may you say, I am strong. Those of you who feel weak financially say, I am strong. Those of you who feel weak relationally, I am strong. Not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is in you and through you. And until you release all delusions of strength, you will never fully experience the grace and strength that is there for you in the person of Jesus Christ. The pain of weakness, the prayer for relief, the promise of grace. Now notice this. Therefore, Paul says, therefore, therefore. Paul, because of all this, what, what do you do? I take pleasure in my infirmities. Verse 10. I take pleasure in reproaches when people gossip against me and when people slander me, I take pleasure in it. When I don't have the resources to do what God's calling me to do, I, I take pleasure in it. When I'm being persecuted for righteousness' sake, I, I take pleasure in it. When I'm in distresses and life circumstances are going wrong, Paul, what do you do? I take pleasure in it. Why? Because those things make me feel weak. And when I feel weak, that is when I'm actually strong. I glory in this. See, Paul reframes the whole situation. This is something all of us could learn from. How do you frame your situation? This week, some of this might happen to you. In my life, most of these things, many of these things have happened to me, many of these things have happened to you. How do you view them? When people say negative things against you, how do you frame it? Does it make you bitter and angry and upset? How dare they say something about me? Don't they realize who I am? It's a sign of spiritual weakness, spiritual immaturity. Paul reframed it. Paul says, I pleasure in it. When somebody's persecuting you, you're just trying to do it. You're just trying to do right. You're just trying to serve the Lord. Somebody, somebody, somebody attacks you for it. Like, what in the world? How do you respond? See, Paul reframes it. Rather than getting overwhelmed, frustrated, Paul says, I glory in it. He reframes it. You see, Paul didn't look at things the same way you and I look at things most of the time. He had an ability by the Spirit of God to reframe situations to see them from a heavenly perspective, to glory in the things that we despise. To take pleasure in those things that we want to avoid and we hate. And this is part of what made Paul so spiritually mature. Like Jesus. God, if this is what your sovereignty and providence is allow, then I receive it. I glory in it. I take pleasure in it. This is the mark of a spiritual believer. How do you respond? 
and persecutions and reproaches and distress. So here's the takeaway. So if you get nothing else out of the sermon today, I hope you get this. There is strength for the struggle. There is strength for the struggle. It's not in your willpower. It's not just in your ability to kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and learn a little bit more. Your strength is not given to you by Jesus. Your strength is Jesus. It is found in in abiding in his presence. There's strength for the struggle. And that strength isn't found in experiencing the presence of Jesus. How are you going to intentionally experience Jesus' presence this week? What are you going to do? Let's, let's take a moment. In a moment, we're going to have some prayer and reflection. And that's what I want the posture of our heart to be leaning into. How are you going to be intentional in the next six days about abiding in the presence of Jesus? I'm not talking about being legalistic. I'm not trying to, oh, so I can feel better about myself. Like, how, how, how are we going to do this? Let's take some time to just pray and reflect and spend some time with God to figure out, to rearrange our schedules, to reprioritize, to do what we've got to do so that there is margin in our lives for the presence of God. And then ask God for this. Say, God, will you open my eyes? Will you show me how your presence solves the situation that I'm dealing with? This takes the spirit of God. Not everybody sees this. Paul, the psalmist says, say, God, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your word. I, I, I need to see from your perspective because I can, I can tend to miss it. And ask God, say, God, open my eyes. Help me to see how your presence is really the solution for every single situation that my life is facing. And yes, it'll have practical ramifications and it'll affect your behavior and it'll affect your actions, yes. But it starts with your heart and your behaviors and your beliefs and your motives and your values and God, God's spirit changes all that so then the, the fruit of your life is just what it needs to be. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.